I'm Fearless Fred, comic book creator, radio personality, and dungeon master extraordinaire. On my podcast, Issue Zero, we'll explore all the things that used to get you beat up in school. From Conan the Barbarian to Wonder Woman, we'll look at the history and future of the fandom universe. So join me as we journey through galaxies far, far away. Issue Zero is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also find us and listen on demand at CuriousCast.ca. Calgary's most recognized morning news personality. The Morning News with Gord Gillies and Sue DL on 770-CHQR. Welcome to the Morning News podcast for Tuesday, October 15th. We begin with a full wrap of all the campaign happenings over the long weekend. We get the lowdown from David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent for Global News. Also on the election front, the folks from Ipsos Reid bring us the latest polling numbers, including a surprise surge by one party. We catch up with a Calgary woman who shares the jaw-dropping story of how her elderly father was scammed out of more than $25,000. And finally, an update on the ongoing situation in Syria. We'll hear the latest from Stuart Bell, investigative reporter with Global News. 610 on your Tuesday morning with less than a week to go in the federal election campaign. Polls still suggesting a dead heat between the Liberals and Conservatives. Well, a lot went on over the weekend and to unpack it all, we are joined this morning by David Aiken. He is a chief political correspondent for Global News. Good morning, David. Good morning, guys. How's it going? Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. Boy, where do we start? So much went on. Let's let's begin with uh, Justin Trudeau having to wear a bulletproof vest at an event. Yeah, that that happened. Uh, that yeah, that was I thought a remarkable event. We haven't seen a prime minister so visibly wearing a bulletproof vest. He was having a rally. The rally was ninety minutes late. He was supposed to appear with Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. This happened in the Toronto area, and um, she didn't appear. Uh, she was kept off the stage. There were clearly some um, men with knapsacks. Knapsacks likely containing rifles. Uh, men in in uh, sort of fatigues. Uh, our colleague Mercedes Stevenson reporting these are RCMP uh, unit that were deployed mm-hmm. apparently in response to a credible threat. Nothing happened. Everybody's safe. Uh, but um, you know this had a lot of people talking about the kind of uh, heated rhetoric on the tour that that all sides are seeing. And uh, and there was some additional security for the prime minister, for Justin Trudeau, the liberal leader, uh, for um, a couple of events in Toronto. He's in Fredericton literally as we speak. Uh, and the security details seem to be back to sort of more of their normal stance. All leaders, I should point out, are traveling with a uh, a number of of RCMP, a plainclothes RCMP officers. It just sort of depends on how many. Trudeau's got the most. Shear's got a couple. Uh, Singh has uh, not as many. And Andrew Shear taking heat over the weekend, David, for uh, campaigning in Winnipeg as they're hammered by an unprecedented storm. Uh, To a certain extent, you might say the show must go on on the other side of the coin. Uh, Maybe bad timing. Yeah, and I guess this is going to your view of whether it was appropriate to be campaigning when, in fact, the premier of the province, Brian Pallister, had declared a state of emergency. I mean, they got (coughs) whacked with some uh, serious snow in Manitoba. Um, Whether you think it's appropriate or not, I guess, is going to be depending on your on your partisan point of view. Uh, Shear was introduced by Candace Bergen, who is a Manitoba MP, who was saying, no, we're happy to have him here. Shear himself 
uh, said he made a donation to the Red Cross, although there was a little confusion as to whether he'd made it when he said that. He has mm. now apparently back and forth on that. But in any event, yeah, I think people will wonder uh, what's up there. The, the seats in Winnipeg, th there's definitely uh, there's uh, seven seats in Winnipeg, and I would say five, uh, four certainly are, are up for grabs in which conservatives are batting New Democrats, uh, New Democrats are battling liberals, or conservatives are batting liberals. So Winnipeg is a place to watch, and, and as we mentioned, this is a, a close Rate. It's a close race overall. Yeah. Uh, we are in every seat counts, and uh, you know there's there's a chunk right there in Winnipeg that uh, that are up for grabs. So will that hurt him or will that help him? We'll see on that one. The other thing that really popped up over the weekend that uh, got a lot of people talking was NDP leader Jagmeet Singh talking about his willingness to form a coalition with the Liberals because he said he would never back a Conservative government. Right. He said he'd form a coalition, then the next day he said he wouldn't. Yeah. So, so Singh was sort of bouncing around on this. But this is sort of, we've seen this movie before in, in some elections, when it is close between the top two parties, the Liberals and Conservatives. Now, uh, you know, and it looks like we might have a minority government. Now, I think it's a perfectly appropriate question that voters will have. Okay, well, who would you deal with if you became mm -hmm. the leader of the party with most seats? Would you deal with the NDP? Would you deal with the Greens? How about the Bloc? Looks like the could win, you know, 20 or 30 seats out there in Quebec. Um, n neither Trudeau nor Scheer want to talk about that. They both say we're campaigning for a strong majority government. But Singh has clearly tipped his hand. He says he would not support a government led by the conservative leader, Andrew Scheer. So presumably that means he's ready to work only with Trudeau. And, of course, that has Scheer now out on the campaign trail. Uh, Scheer is, by the way, in Quebec City this morning. So Scheer is now saying, you know, that's a, a liberal NDP coalition that you can't afford and trying to make the case to, to put him over the top. Um, it's going to be like this for the whole week. Liberals are going to be trying to scare progressive voters away, mm -hmm. saying uh, progress, uh, a vote for the NDP or Green is a vote for that scary guy, Andrew Scheer. Scheer is going to be trying to scare those leaning, you know, those blue red switchers to say, oh, my gosh, we can't have an NDP liberal coalition. Um, it's going to be a nutty week. Well, and I believe it was Abigail, Abigail Beeman from Global News who was tweeting out over the weekend how uh, countless times Trudeau was asked that question. Are you and the NDP going to be uh, teaming up? And the deflection game was on point when it came to Trudeau. I guess this is with six days left. Every word counts. Every leader will be watching every uh, single word that comes out of their mouth. Yeah, absolutely. And we're also watching where they're going. And as I mentioned today, uh, Trudeau is in Atlanta, Canada. He's in a riding uh, of Fredericton. It's his second time this campaign to Fredericton. And Fredericton is a riding the Liberals already hold. They hold every seat in Atlanta, Canada. Uh, Trudeau's also going to Halifax today and, and doing some other stops. Uh, again, for the second time in this campaign, that's a rare and unusual thing that a a leader visits any riding twice, unless it's a riding he wants to steal or he thinks it's under threat. So to see him in Fredericton twice, I guess you got to kind of wonder why. And I'm sure Abigail's asking those questions right now. She's with the uh, Trudeau, but that Fredericton seat is a seat where the Greens are showing some mm -hmm. strength. And I know, having traveled through that region with both May and Sheer and Trudeau during this campaign, liberals out east they are spooked by the strength of the. Green support, and they're worried the green support 
even if May doesn't win anything, green support will, will eat into liberal support enough that conservatives are going to come up the middle. And I think conservatives are looking reasonably good in, in Fredericton. In Halifax, it's really a story, I think, between uh, liberals or New Democrats. But clearly the liberals feel they're under some threat in Atlantic Canada, and that's why uh, Trudeau's out there today. Meanwhile, Shear, as I mentioned, he's in Quebec City, and I think he's seen his numbers in Quebec wilt. Uh, he's lost some support to the BQ, uh, mostly as a result of a bad uh, debate de debate performance in uh, in uh, a French language debate. So Shear's got to shore up his uh, strength right now in Quebec. He'll need some more Quebec seats uh, if he has any chance of forming uh, even a strong minority government. Well, wouldn't it be nice if the leaders spent these last few days just talking about what they have to offer to us instead of attacking each other? Thanks for joining us this morning, David. <laughs> no problem, guys. Cheers. Chief political correspondent for Global News, David Aiken. The latest Ipsos poll conducted exclusively for Global News found support for the Conservatives is down slightly. The Liberals has dropped as well, but support for the NDP is up. Joining us this morning, Mike College, president of Ipsos Public Affairs. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thanks for joining us. New numbers. Tell us what you're seeing in the polls now. Well, I think you summed it up at the, at the start. The, the, if anybody had thanks to give over the weekend, it was uh, Mr. Singh. Uh, who's, who's jumped five points over the course of the week. Um, and, and both of the front-running parties are now in a, in a, in a deadlock, a statistical tie at uh, 32 for the Conservatives and 30 for the Liberals. The Liberals are down the most, but the Conservatives have also suffered as well, coming down two points. So what do we attribute the NDP jump to? I think a combination of things. You know, the social media work we looked at when we looked at who was paying attention to both of the debates last week um, clearly showed that he performed very well, much better than sort of the net of the other two, uh, the other candidates combined over the two. So that helps. He's the only one that's um, uh, really been trying to address issues and, and focus on a little more policy that, than some of the others who, you know, have been slamming each other a little harder than that. So I think he's getting some of that progressive vote who people were saying, you know, I was hopeful that we'd have the, that kind of a tone throughout the campaign. So with the Liberals and Conservatives, we've seen, you know, a lot of, as you said, they've been battling amongst each other. And the NDP sort of skating through as much as out here in Alberta, we don't agree with his stand for the most part. They've kind of skated through without any big scandals. Yeah, they, they've avoided the big mistakes or the big errors, and they've been the beneficiary of the uh, the Liberals and the Conservatives largely focused on trying to bring each other uh, back to the pack. Still a country divided, uh, very regional when it comes to the latest results we're seeing in polls. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, you're, you're, in, you're in Alberta, and, and Alberta and the Prairies are overwhelmingly conservative. Uh, BC is a, a basically a three-way race with the, with the Green Party uh, growing in, in double digits. Uh, the Atlantic skews towards the, the Liberals, but it's it's not a lock there for them across the board like it was last time. And then the rise of the bloc in Quebec, which nobody expected really, or mm -hmm. nobody anticipated, maybe, maybe the bloc would say they expected it, uh, really has eaten into the Liberal base there. And, and shut out the Conservatives' opportunities or their hopes to grow in that province. And then in Ontario... You know, I think the, the Liberals are up by two it's a, it's a, or three. It's a, it's a dead race there as well. But you're very divided, as you said. And it looks like, though, uh, big numbers at the polls for advanced polling over the weekend. Yeah, and it's tough to tell whether the advanced polls is a sign of enthusiasm and, and more people coming out. Or, you know, uh, we have they were open longer this year. They had a few more uh, campuses open. They, um, it could be organizations that the, 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 the uh, party organizations getting the vote out. Um, we don't see that big jump in enthusiasm or hope yet. This is really an election about who's, uh, who's acceptable uh, as opposed to who's, who's, uh, who's uh, inspiring us. 
What have you found as far as uh, the Canadians who have their minds already made up? How many voters or what percentage of voters are the parties uh, are the parties still fighting for? So there's about 40% who say I'm not 100% certain who I'm going to vote for. So about 60% of vote are, are in. There's really, you know, at the far end, 10% who say it's a completely wild card opening for me. So so there are people still out there. Now, the those who are certain to vote and those who are certain of the party they're going to vote for, that's, that favors the block and the conservative vote. Those, those mm-hmm. are a little more firm. Those who are uncertain leans toward the NDP, the Green, the Liberals. So there could be some movement on, on that side where as they get closer to it, they start to shuffle the, the, the chairs a little bit. Mike, still some steady numbers, though, about who Canadians believe should lead the country. Yeah, and that's a, there's, a, there's an upside there for, for Mr. Trudeau. He's at 37%, which isn't an overwhelming endorsement, but it is higher than his vote number right now. And in the past, what we've seen is that... Um, do they deserve to be re-elected is the question we ask. That number usually matches up very close to votes. So right now we're at a sink. We'll see if that, that lines up or it comes down. And I guess a large percentage of Canadians believe it's time for another party to take control. Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a little over two-thirds to say it's time for another party to get in. I think you're seeing that. I mean, it, it overwhelmingly skews based on the party you're, you're focused on. If you're a conservative supporter, you're, you're well over 90% to say, you know what, it's time for a new party and, and vice versa. On election night, do you think it's fair to say, Mike, by, you know, we're looking at the 21st, by the time Ontario and Quebec roll in, is that it? Is it can we call it? I think we're going to be, uh, at least on, in, in, I'm in Ottawa, at least in Ottawa, I think we're going to be waiting for the BC votes. I think we yeah. know when Ontario and Quebec roll in, we know what's going to happen across the prairies in Alberta. Um, they, it's very tight in BC. Like I said, there's, a, there's at least a three-way race, and in a lot of places there's a four-way race. Um, there are you know, probably 70, 80 seats that are, that are toss-up across the country, and a lot of those are going to be in BC. So we have the overall numbers, Liberals sitting at 30%, Conservatives at 32 NDP at 20 the Greens at 8 right now. It's still a horse race, obviously. It's going to be tight. The voter numbers were high at the advance polls, but it'll all come down to October 21st. Thanks for joining it'll us, Mike. It'll be a fun day. Yeah, Cheers. it'll be fun for sure. Mike College is the president of Ipsos Public Affairs. 709, the morning news on 770 CHQR. An alarming story, not just for those of us who have elderly parents, but I would think for each and every uh, Calgarian and Canadian. A senior, uh, we heard this news coming down last week, built out of $26,000 in a cell phone scam phone call. Joining us on the line is Leslie. Uh, Good morning, Leslie. You're here to tell us the story of your father. And uh, tell us about when you first heard about it. Uh, It must have been just shocking to get the call from your father. Uh, It was. um, I didn't necessarily get a call from him, but he did call after everything had gone down and asked me to come talk to him. And as soon as he, you know, said like three words and showed me all his receipts, I knew exactly what had happened to him. So, Leslie, can you give us, I I can hear it in your voice, it's obviously very upsetting for him, for for you, for the whole family. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown of of kind of what happened to him? So, kind of what happened was he received a phone call. You know, they tell you that your social security number has been compromised and, you know, they've got all these information on you and maybe somebody stole your identity and, you know, that uh, they're looking at fraud charges and drug trafficking and all kinds of things that obviously scared him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, he was at work. They lured him away from work. They had him in a cab going 
from bank to banks all over Calgary and downtown, uh, withdrawing cash advances from his credit card, his savings account, his checkings account, took it all. Um, you know, this went on for 10 hours wow. before they finally let him go, um, obviously, because he'd run out of money. Um, they threatened him and told him that he wasn't allowed to talk to anybody, which is why, you know, we spent half the day trying to get a hold of him and couldn't. Um, once he had all the cash money that they wanted, they had him going all over to different places in the city for those Bitcoin machines and uh, putting the money into the Bitcoin. And then once it goes in there, it's, it's gone. Uh, tell us about your father. How old is he and does he live on his own? Um, he does. Well, he lives with my sister. Um, he moved in with her to help her out after her husband passed away. Um, so he's been living with her. And uh, and then... And how, uh, how old is he, Leslie? He's 61. And would you consider him... You know, he's he's aware, he's alert, he knows what's going on. It's just how good these scammers can be, isn't it? It is, Yeah. So would you say, I mean, obviously, you know, now does he realize what happened? But at the time, it just, they scared him enough that they, they convinced him he had to do what they said? That's exactly what happened. That they legitimately convinced him that if, you know, if they, if he didn't pay the funds, that they wouldn't be able to, um, you know, make all this go away sort of thing. So he calls you, you meet up with him, you see what's been going on, and, and you get to the bottom of it fairly, fairly quickly. How have you found the resources? Where do you go, and, and what are the steps to try to, A, get some of this money back and get to the bottom of this crime? Um, mostly, I'm, I've got very good awareness. I've worked within the law system um, for a long time, so I'm pretty educated on these sort of scams and know when these phone calls come through that they're not legit. Um, but I mean, as part of getting the money back, um, so far we haven't had any cooperation from the credit card companies or the banks. Um, he was fortunate enough that one of the transactions didn't go through the Bitcoin machine. Mm -hmm. So we were able to get, um, some money back from that. Now, we should mention that you filed a, a report with the Calgary police, so they're aware they're investigating this crime as well. Do you, did they say anything? Did they did they give you any, you know, any help or any positive thoughts that you might be able to get this looked after and maybe get some money back? Or, or once it's into Bitcoin, it's gone? Once it's in the Bitcoin machines, it's gone. It's not traceable. Um, so really, once you can file your report with Calgary Police Service, but at that point, it's it's pretty much a done deal. Um, there's not a lot that they can do to help recover the money. The most you can do is try to negotiate with your bank or your credit card companies. How much um, How much money are we talking, Leslie? Over twenty six thousand. Oh, and I'm I'm assuming that was a lot of your dad's savings. It was everything. That's just heartbreaking. An unfortunate event like this uh, generally brings people together. Have you heard from other people who've, who've gone through, well, maybe the same scam or similar scams since your stories come to light? Um, no, we haven't. I mean, this is the first time it's gone public, so maybe we will now. But I think we've been kind of keeping it private mm -hmm. for the most part. I mean, it's, it's hard for my dad. Why did you decide to come forward and, and talk to the media and tell people about what happened? People need to be aware um, 
you know, it doesn't matter what age they are. It could happen to anybody. It, it sounds like these people are very scary, very threatening. Um, the fact that they wouldn't even let him contact anybody the entire 12, 10 hours that they dragged him around the city says a lot on how scary these people can be. Are you surprised that your dad was tricked this way? I am. Um, you know, I didn't think that, one, it would happen to my family, or two, that, you know, people would listen to these people. But, you know, everybody's different in how they react to a phone call like that. I've gotten the phone call myself. I've heard what they say. Um so, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of education and awareness for mm-hmm. people. Well, and although he was on the phone, technically, and it's been described in, in from what I'm reading, that he was basically held hostage. And I'm wondering, uh, has that taken its toll on your dad? Is, is he is he is he getting some help? Because there could even be some PTSD involved here. Um, I agree. Um, I think this I couldn't even imagine the distress that he was going through or how he was feeling when you know, he spends 10 hours of his day, abandons work, um, all that stuff. And then how you, he would feel after the fact, knowing that none of this was real. I, I think it's very stressful for and for upsetting everybody. to anybody, yeah. and including the family. I mean, you may not be a direct victim, but it becomes a whole family thing. And Leslie, you know, the reason I ask, were you surprised that that your dad was taken advantage of this way? I think that is the key is that we all need to be aware it can happen and it doesn't have to be, you know, a senior who's having, you know, memory issues or anything like that. This can happen to anybody and we all need to be super vigilant. So I give you, uh, you know, great credit for you and your family coming forward and and we hope that hopefully the police can do something about it and and maybe we, we hear that you get some of that money back. Yeah. Thank you so. Thanks so much for talking with us. I appreciate it. Sorry for your story, and I'm sorry for your father's loss. And hopefully, he's doing okay. He's he's okay. (laughs) Good. Glad to hear it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Worth noting that tomorrow at this time, we'll have uh, Police Chief Mark Newfeld in, and we'll be talking to Mark about, you know, all of uh, this sort of an incident and what you can do to safeguard yourself at home as well. 842, and uh, Stuart Bell joins the morning news with the situation in Syria since U.S. troops were pulled out of the northern part of the country. And uh, Stuart is the global investigative reporter. Uh, Good morning, Stuart. Good morning. Uh, Can you tell us the latest uh, as far as this whole situation? What what, what can we talk about this morning? Well, I mean, there's been a huge, uh, rapid change of events in that part of the world where just in the last couple of days we've gone from having... uh, Kurdish forces, uh, pro-Western Kurdish forces backed by the U.S. in charge of a third of Syria to now uh, a Turkish invasion and um, now the Syrian regime forces moving into that area. So it's, uh, it's been a very quick turn of events. Um, basically, the Kurds um, felt that they could no longer withstand the Turkish assault um, by themselves without the U.S. support. And so they were forced to turn to their enemy, the Kurdish regime forces. And uh, they've now moved in to try and contain the Turkish advance along the border. Are all U.S. troops, all boots on the ground there now, out of there? No, there are still still some U.S. forces there. They're just not, uh, Engaging. They're not engaged. And they're being, uh, they've been told that they will be taken back, and that uh, the U.S. doesn't want to participate in that part of the world anymore. 
Well, the U.S. does not want to, but is there Russian involvement with the Turkish government? Well, this is the issue, is that we had, uh, in that region, we had uh, a pro-Western administration and uh, armed group of the Syrian Democratic Forces that, uh, that were controlling that area and also were uh, detaining thousands of uh, ISIS uh, prisoners, including a bunch of Canadians. Uh, and that situation has now changed. Um, we now have uh, the Syrian regime, which, as we know, is a, an ally of Russia in control of that part of the world. And so we've lost, uh, we've lost a lot of our ability to have any say or, um, you know, to have any impact in that part of the world. It's becoming a really scary situation in, in a couple of fronts where, you know, I've been hearing, especially over this weekend, that, you know, the rise of ISIS, that's, that is a given now with the way things are in that country. And as well, a humanitarian crisis may be looming. Yeah, you know, in terms of ISIS, I think we know ISIS had made a decision uh, after it lost its territory six months ago to just basically wait. They were going to wait it out. Uh, and trying to sort of disappear into the deserts and uh, wait for circumstances to change, which they could exploit. And that's exactly what's mm-hmm. happening now. I mean, there's uh, something like 100,000 ISIS um, fighters and their families that were being held by the Kurdish forces around that area at various camps and prisons. Um, there still existed some ISIS cells that were conducting attacks, sort of guerrilla-style attacks, um, but this, the chaos that the Turkish invasion has brought has, is really to the benefit of ISIS. They've begun to exploit it already. There's been a number of escapes from the ISIS camps and a renewed uh, surge of ISIS attacks in that part of the world. And really, you know, just one, um, one prison break uh, of, of any size would give ISIS basically a new battalion that they could use to to fight. Um, there's some very hardened and hardcore ISIS fighters that are in those prisons, um, and getting them out would just be a massive boost to mm. to ISIS as well as a real blow to the efforts that have been made over the last few months to contain ISIS. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning, Stuart. Thank you. Stuart Bell, Global's investigative reporter. Thanks for listening to the Morning News Podcast. If you like what you hear, take a minute and rate and review the show. And if you really like it, tell a friend. That'd be nice. The Morning News Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.